Adam. Hmm? What? Melissa, was that you? Wasn't me. Go to bed. Adam. Noah, I hear you go to sleep. Wasn't me, Dad. Adam. Wait a minute. Could that be the voice of the Lord? This is your moment. Experience God's love and God's peace with us. See what God is doing for your neighbors at Crosspoint. Be blessed with today's broadcast. I'm going to read a scripture that I feel like it's for the church across the nation. And it goes right along with something that I have wrote down on 6-15. So June the 15th, I wrote this down. And since then, I've had confirmation after confirmation with prophetic and apostolic voices that I trust and listen to. And I feel like it's kind of a warning for the church. At the same time, it's, it's hope. So it's more than anything for us to press in and pray, to intercede. Even if you don't consider yourself in intercession, you can pray. So it's in Hebrews and it's in 12. It says in 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If you did not escape when they refused him who warned them on the earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At this time, his voice shook the earth, but now has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably in reverence and in awe for our God is a consuming fire. And I'm gonna tell you, on June the 15th, I wrote down a lot of things. And one thing that I had wrote down was, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. There is a shaken coming. I'm gonna tell you, the Lord, I've been, t I've really just had a lot of time this couple, last couple weeks, and I've just put my ear to the Lord. I've not really, really haven't even talked to my family much. Haven't really, at times even listen to a lot of music like which is not normal for me and I've heard a lot of things and I felt like there was things I needed to release today but I felt like the Lord was saying no because the resounding thing that keeps coming to me is there's a shaking coming there's a shaking coming and everything that can be shaken will be shaken and I am telling you 
that the people that I trust and the people that I listen to, they are saying the same thing since I wrote this down. They are saying come September, there is something that we will see. But we're a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have hope. I don't know what it looks like. I have no indication. I just know that my spirit, the resounding sound of my spirit says, be ready, be prayed up, because everything that can be shaken will be shaken through July and August. September, we will see it. The prophetic voices that I trust the most, they will even tell you, I don't know what the Lord is speaking of. I just know he's preparing his people. This morning, this is not the message I wanted to tell you because I had other things the Lord's really been kind of dwelling in me about. I felt like in my flesh I had rather tell you, but I would be wrong to do that. I have to stand here and tell you, be prepared and be ready. I have to tell you that you need to be praying through July and August like you've never prayed before. I don't know why. I believe it is not only is there a shaking coming to the church of America, but there's a shaking coming to the nation. That is what I really discern it's really more of a discernment of the nations but it affects us as Christians as men and women of God but we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken you hold on you pray and you be prayed up and that is truly what I feel like I have to tell you this morning I know that during that same time I had wrote down prepare the way of the Lord and I did release that about three or four weeks ago and as a part of prepare the way of the, this is a part of it. This is a part of preparing the way of the Lord because what is coming is of God. The shaking that is coming is of God. And it's a good thing. It may look bad. It may look scary. It may not feel good. But hold on. Because what is coming is of the Lord. And he says, prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. So I, I really want to encourage everybody that calls this the body of Christ. I want you to be on your face before the Lord over these next few months and ask the Lord to give you discernment. He can give you discernment too. He can tell you what to pray and what strategies. We've got to ask for strategies. We have to ask for what is it, God, that you're speaking to the church that we need to be praying out over the nation and over the body of Christ. He will tell you. Sometimes it's not direct, it's not black and white, but you will discern enough to know and you will pray into that and it does make a difference. So I'm encouraging you this morning, please begin to pray and ask the Lord how can I be prepared? I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I promise this is heavy. I know. I, I didn't want to give this. I didn't want to tell you this. I don't. But I, I can't. It won't leave me. It won't leave me. And when that happens, I know I have to say it. But we have hope. We do have hope. So don't get, don't get 
buried in the gloom and doom of it, just know that God said his people are to pray. We're to carry out the strike mission. We are his strike mission. We are the remnant that he's raised up for such a time as this. So if he revealed it, he intends for us to carry it out because we are the ones that work in the earth. So if there was a revealing, he, he's got our back. We just got to do what he says do. Let's pray over the service. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I done what I felt in my spirit I was supposed to do. I did not want to get up here and tell that this morning, but Father, you know it would not leave me. And so, Father, I pray that the ears of understanding are open over these people and that they take this serious and they begin to press in and they begin to intercede on behalf of the church of the nation and on behalf of the country. And Father, I just pray that in the name of Jesus, Father, that you would just tear down any intrinsic and every intrinsic demonic force that would try to represent or rear its head in this service. I just say right now, Father God, that every heart is captivated to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Father, we paralyze every spirit that's not of God or the Holy Spirit right now. We take authority over this service, Father, that you and only you get glory, that Jesus is the King of Kings, and that is who we're here to represent as the kingdom that cannot be shaken. So, Father, bless this service. I bless the musicians, the singers, and I bless Mike. And I pray, Father, that everything that comes forth in this service is only of you. We only hear from the Spirit of the Most High God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we're in this series. Last week, um, I taught an interactive series, and we had fun doing it, or I had fun doing it, and I think our actors had fun. I hope you guys enjoyed the service and had fun with it. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to see it, I encourage you to uh, watch. That is a little different. Um, but God was speaking to the prophet Isaiah, and I, and I said, well, you know, I, obviously God's not praying, but if he was going to pray, what would he pray? And it's Isaiah 6, he's talking to Isaiah, and he says, well, who will go? Who will go for us? And that was our scripture last week, and, and Isaiah said, well, send me, Lord. And I believe that we're in this season where God is once again saying, and he's asking, who will go? The question is, will we say, send me, Lord? Or will we say, well, Lord, I'm a little busy. You can send me, but not too much. You, you, can, you can especially send me on Sunday mornings between 10.30, if he goes a little long, 12.15, you know. You can send me during that times, and I'm good. Every now and then you can send me through the week, but, but i got a lot going on, Lord. And I believe, that, I believe that we are living in the last days. And, and I know I've taught on that some, and, and I believe there's an urgency now to advance the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, most people look at church as the third place. Have you ever heard that term, the third place? Uh, became very popular when Starbucks started Starbucks. Starbucks said they wanted to become 
the third place. In culture, typically you have three main places. You have your home, you have your workplace, and then you have the third place. And what Starbucks was saying, if, if you're not at home with your family, and if you're not <clears throat> at your work or whatever it is that important part of your day, maybe at school, we want to be the third place. We want to be the place where you come and you sit and you bring your friends, you drink some high-dollar coffee and, and eat a really stiff, hard bagel of some form. I've never understood that, but they're very expensive and they're not very good. Some of you are going, well, that's not true. I love them. And you're lying and we're in the house of God. Because <clears throat> we don't eat Starbucks uh, pastries because they're good. We eat them because that make us look cool. We can walk around with, oh, where'd you get that? I got that from Starbucks. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'll walk around with a Starbucks bagel half a day if people can see me, you know, and got my cup. And I'm not going to drink. It's too bitter. But I want people to see me. And so they wanted this third place. And it's an incredible marketing, I won't say gimmick, it was a good marketing to it worked. And and they became so successful and still are successful, whether you believe in their ideologies or, or not, and, and it's irrelevant. But unfortunately, church has kind of become a third place. Some people's third place may be a pool hall. It may be a bar. I hope it's not a bar. Uh, it may be uh, sports. It may be fishing. It may be something. But everybody's got a third place place, and I don't know what yours is, but, but in our culture, we have tended to make church a third place. And you may be thinking, well, you know, shouldn't it be? Shouldn't our home and, and, and then our work and then church, right? Shouldn't it be that? No, church should not be a third place. Church is not a place that we're supposed to go. Church is a place that we're supposed to be. Somebody say amen. And so, the church is, a, is, is us. We're supposed to assemble together. And if we live in a type of location such as America, we should be able to ascend, assemble together publicly in a building. This building we're in is not the church. We are the church. And when you make church your third place, when it's just a third part of your life or fourth part of your life, First or second part of your life, when church becomes that, you're missing out on a purpose. You're missing out on a calling that God has for your life. First uh, Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. We are called to be the body. Before we can ever build this church body We've got to learn how to be the church body. We've got to learn how to serve the Lord. And, and before we can serve the Lord, we've got to learn how to hear from the Lord. Now, I believe with everything in me that we are here on purpose. This was an intentional uh, calling by Holy Spirit in this time for Muhlenberg County and for Western Kentucky to plant this church here during this time. I believe without a doubt it was an answer to calls that, have, that are to prayers that were cried out to God over the years. I've heard too many saints of God tell me, this is what I've been praying for. And so I do believe that. But we've got to learn how to be the church right now. There's an urgency for this not to be third place. There's an urgency 
for everything that we do in life go through the lens of us as the body of Christ. Every, your, your marriage should be conducted through the lens of you being the church. If you are the church, if your spouse is the church, I'm not talking about the building, if you're the church that Jesus called you to be, your marriage will be better. If your, church, if your marriage is first place, you're going to struggle. It should not be first place. Your relationship with Jesus Christ should always be first and the only place. Everything else should be viewed through the lens of that, I don't want to say philosophy, but that spirituality of that being of who you are. When you say, I'm a Christ follower, you should mean everything else is seen, is experienced, is lived through the lens of Jesus Christ. It changes your life. 1 Samuel 3, and our scriptures today will be mostly in uh, first, first Samuel chapter 3. And we may go to Jeremiah next week. Last week we talked about uh, a young man being called by the Lord. This week we're going to be talking about a young man being called by the Lord. And, and we may do the same thing next week. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord. Now, It'll say temple in this in some of these scriptures here. And what they're referring to here is that big tent that was in a permanent location now. And so they're ministering in this humongous tent with the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. But at this point, there was other little rooms within the, within the holy of holies. And the priests and some of the attendants would sleep and live inside those, those rooms. Now, Eli was the priest at that particular time. He was a national leader. He took over after, the, after Samson, one of the leaders, one of the judges died. Eli took over after he did. Well, Eli had some pretty rough sons who were supposed to take over after him. And, of course, we know that they didn't. We'll get into that in just a second. But the second character here is Samuel. Now, <clears throat> if you've been in church any time at all, you should know the story of Samuel's mother, Hannah. And, and our daughter was named after this particular person. Hannah was barren, and my wife and I, at one time, we could not have children. And we went to the doctors, and you're not going to have children. And it was just, that was a done deal. But, you know, I, I believe God, and I believe my wife. And, and my wife said, this ain't so. And, and so we got to work, and she, you know, called out. When I say we got to work, I mean she called the intercessors. I don't mean we started taking medicine. We didn't see another doctor or surgeon. We called in the intercessors. We went on a fast. So this story is very important to our life because God honored that. And just like this story, here's a lady that could not have a child, and her husband was known. Elkanah was one of the leaders in the region. He was a godly man. He was fair. He was just. He had a great reputation. And he also had another wife, which was common at that time. And this lady was popping out babies left and right. And, and, and back in the day, if you could not have a child, it wasn't just disappointing. And I know if for uh, ladies who have trouble having children, it is disheartening. It's disappointing. There are options available back then. It was shameful. It was considered to be a shame, an embarrassment uh, to not to be able to have a child. And so Hannah was humiliated during this time. And her... her uh, husband's other wife would make fun of her. Now, 
She was loved by her husband. And the other wife wasn't as loved, but yet she was having all the kids. And she would just mock Hannah left and right. And so Hannah goes to the temple, and we know the story. She's praying, and Eli happens to see her, and she's mumbling. It's like, woman, what are you doing drunk here at the temple? She's like, I'm not drunk. I'm praying. I want a child. And so Eli prophesies over her and says, within a year, you will have a child. She's excited. Sure enough, the Bible tells us within a year, she has a child, Samuel. She promised God, hey, if, 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 if you'll give me a child, I will dedicate this child to you. Now, how many actually went through the process of dedicating their child in the church, a baby dedication? All right. This is a little different. This is not coming up before the church and get a little gift and we pray and it's an incredible one. We bring the family in and we charge the church and the family, hey, we all got to join together and we clap and we love them. We go eat and, you know, that's, that's kind of it. There is a responsibility on us to continue to pray and look after that child. We devoted ourselves to that as we devoted the child to the Lord. This is different. This is, I'll devote my child to you and when he's weaned, and most scholars believe between 22 and 24 months, she toted little baby Samuel to Eli, this old man, this grandfather, and said, here you go, hoss. She went back to the house. Now, Eli at this point has got grown sons, grown men. So he's a grandfather or a great-grandfather age at this point, and somebody just dropped off a two-year-old at the tabernacle's doorstep. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Samuel, that's a little difficult to swallow. That's not an easy... I mean, we look at Hannah and how many times we've heard the message. What a miracle. Hallelujah. God answered the prayer. Oh, Hannah, she lost her shame. She's now upset. She had a bunch of kids after that. This was an incredible miracle that took place, but we don't ever really stop to think about Samuel. Samuel got dropped off miles and miles away. Now, she'd come visit, the Bible says. She'd come visit, bring him a new coat once a year, bring him some clothes, Bring him some different things, some food and different things. Give him a big hug and some sugar. And, you know, probably tote along his little baby siblings. And can you imagine being Samuel? You're two, four, six years old. You're go Mom, why, can I just go with you? No, you've got to stay here. But he smells. He's old. You know, I mean, I, wait, I can't even go. I can't do nothing. What about Dad? Nobody's teaching me how to hunt. You're bringing my, my brothers and my sisters in. They're having all this fun. They're doing Why can't I go? And Samuel is abandoned. This incredible miracle for Hannah turns into this abandonment. This was a promise she made to God. And she kept her promise. Two years old, and she's abandoned. He's abandoned. I mean, I can't imagine that kind of loneliness. I, I can't imagine that, that sense of just being just left. Not because you didn't love me, but because this person, God, you devoted me to this person, God. The Bible says he don't even know God at this point. And I wonder if Samuel ever said, why am I here? Why me, Lord? 
And he's getting older. I mean, he, I mean, years are going by. At some point, he knows his family's out there, and he knows his family loves him. He's got good reputation, not like they're in jail and, and you know, he's in foster care. No, he, they love him, and he loves him. Why can't I just go home? Can you imagine? I can't imagine taking my kid to the church and dropping them off and say, I'll see you next year. I'll bring you a coat. You want anything else? This is his life. And I think we all go through that sometimes. I think we all wonder, why am I going through this? And why am I have to suffer with this pain? Why am I have to suffer with this, this relationship that is falling apart? Why, you know, God, you told me this years ago I was going to do this and this and this. Now look at me. I can't do anything. Why, God? Why? And little did Samuel know that God was orchestrating something behind the scenes. Samuel had no idea that God had intended for him a greater purpose. Michael and Ashley and I met yesterday, and we were talking about the Monday night service and about some of the things we go through. And I said, you know, as, as difficult as some things are, I don't let them get me down because I can't get my mind off the greater purpose. There's a greater good. God is calling Crosspoint Church to a greater purpose. We are here on purpose, and I cannot let it escape my spirit. And I get frustrated about things just like you guys do, but I don't get down about it because there's a greater purpose. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, God is going to work it out. If you're called according to his purpose, and you are, if you're truly, authentically seeking the Lord for God to use you, he'll make the hell you've been through and maybe going through, he will make it serve you rather than you continuing to serve the junk you've been having to go through. Listen, we've all got a greater purpose. We all have a greater calling. Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, he said, It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself before me. Paul said, this is, this is not my life anymore. Jesus died for me. He bought me with a price. I now have a greater purpose. I'm called to something. I'm not living for me anymore, Paul said. I'm not living for any, me anymore, Mike says. I'm bought with the price. What are you saying? Are you still living for you? Or are you living for the greater purpose that God has called you to? But have you just given that moment of salvation to Him? Or are you truly doing your best to give your life to Him? Are you giving your career to Him? Are you giving your marriage to Him? Are you giving your children to Him? I don't mean dropping them off at the church because I'm not going to raise your kid. But giving your kid to Him in the sense that, God, I'm going to do what you tell me to do with this child, but this child is your responsibility. I'm going to pray over them, feed them, take care of them, but you use them, God, for your glory. Are you praying that prayer? Are you believing it? Because that's truly, that's, if you've got kids, that's the ultimate call that we have for our children is to devote them to the Lord. There is no greater call than devote those 
to the Lord, to pave the way, to get the junk out of the way. I'm not saying that they never can go through hard times. They can never learn. That's not our job to remove all the hurdles. It's our job to help them along the way, to teach them along the way. 1 Samuel 3 and 3. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, and he heard, or excuse me, then the Lord called Samuel. And he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli. And he said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. So he went and he laid down. And the Lord called Samuel again. At this time, Samuel's probably about 12. And he says, here I am. So he takes off running to Eli. He says, you called me. He says, I did not call you, my son. He said, I ain't call you, boy, go sleep. I'm trying to get some rest. Go lie down again. Now, very interesting in verse 7. Honestly, I'd never seen this before until this week. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Twelve years old, raised by the priest, living in the tabernacle, and don't know the Lord? Are you kidding me? It says, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. How do you live in the church and not know God? He's taught by this priest how to do things. But he's never been taught how to be someone. He's been taught how to light the candles, how to clean, how to get the sacrifices, clean them off, get the next one ready. He's been taught to be a servant. Knows how to serve. His kids knew how to serve. And if you read the Bible, his kids were up to no good. I mean, horrendous things. They were terrible men. Taught them how to do things, but he never taught his boys how to have a relationship with God. He just taught them how to serve. When they got old, they didn't know the Lord either. They just knew that there were some things in the temple that gave them some authority it gave them a few rights. It gave them some recognition in the community. Oh, I know who you are. Man, they were doing, I, I don't want to get into the details. You can study it yourself. But they were up to no good. So as much as we want to read and love about Eli, Eli's doing a terrible job as a priest teaching people how to be in a relationship with God. I wonder sometimes if that's our problem. If we can't hear what God is telling us, what God's calling us to do, because we really don't know Him. We just come to visit on Sunday morning. We come to visit Him at 10.30. Some of you is coming at 9 o'clock. We have a 9 o'clock class. Some of you may not realize that. We have a 9 o'clock small group discipleship class. If you want to learn about the Bible, learn about the Lord, build some good relationships 9 a.m., you want to be here. That's part of learning and knowing the Lord, not just doing. Doing is me walking up here and teaching. Doing is Josh clunking on that keyboard. Doing is Brian tapping on the drums. Doing is Gary clicking through this. That's doing. We can do it until the cows come home and not know the Lord. Melissa can go over there and she can teach your kids. And these kids can learn how to know the Lord and she cannot know the Lord. 
Whitney can get your middle schoolers in here on Wednesday night. And they can go home and, and you'll see the change in their life. These kids know the Lord. They, they know the Bible. This is incredible. What a remarkable change. And she never know the Lord. Because she's doing. Melissa's doing. Josh is doing. Brian's doing. I'm doing. But that's not the same thing as knowing. And here you've got, you've got this young boy growing up. His entire influence, his worldview is shaped by living inside the temple. Knowing the, the law of Moses left and right. He could quote it with his eyes closed, standing on his head and doing it backwards. He knows everything there is to know about the Word. But the Bible tells us at this age, scholars believe he was probably 12, 12, 13, somewhere around there. At this age, he doesn't know the Lord. He's never heard the voice of the Lord. Can you imagine? Eli has never said, well, I've taught you today about Moses. I've taught you about how the Israelites left Egypt. I've taught you those things. But let's just put that aside a second. Today, I just, I don't want to teach you anything. I just want us to get in the presence of God. I just want us to sit here. Don't, we're not going to ask him for nothing. We're just going to get in his presence. Why would I do that? I really don't even know him. Today's the day you get to know him. Today, we're just going to ask for his presence. We're just going to ask, God, well, I just want to know you more. And apparently, he never did that. Romans 12 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. The Bible tells us that we are to, to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, not as a visitor on Sunday morning, not as a visitor in prayer on Thursday night or in Monday night service, not as visitors, but as our life, our lifestyle. When we get up, we can't wait to speak to the Lord. When we go to bed at night, we can't wait to say, Lord, thank you for this happened in my day. This happened in my day. God, I, I really faced something hard, but you got me through it. Thank you. That is giving ourselves. That's living through the Lord, not just visiting the Lord, not just doing, but being who he's called us to be. Some people come to church their entire lives and they never hear the call of the Lord. They never hear the Lord go, Samuel, Michael. They never hear the Lord. Adam. Hmm? What? Melissa, is that you? Wasn't me. Go to bed. Adam. Noah, I hear you go to sleep. Wasn't me, Dad. Adam! Wait a minute. Could that be the voice of the Lord? See, please, I'm not trying to beat you over the head. Take this as constructive. But most people that come to church, they let the worship team lead them in praise. They let whomever is teaching lead them in a word. And that's fine. That's fine. But our job, while it is to lead you, it's twofold. It's to not only lead you, but to teach you how to praise on your own. Because 
these ladies up here, these instrumentalists up here, they cannot praise God for you. You have to praise. And so if, if you see uh, one of them running across the stage, some of you might think, well, that's crazy. What is she doing? And some of you need to be thinking, man, I just want to run too. Run for the, God's sake. Run if that's what you feel in your spirit to do. And some of you see uh, Michelle with her eyes closed and tears are running down her face and she's doing this. And I remember you thinking, well, why ain't she looking at it? Maybe you need to tilt your head back and lift your hands and just let go and let God just intervene in your space and be who God has called you to be. Be the church. Experience Him. The only way we can do that is to truly engage in worship. Not just watch others. I mean, I can go to a concert and listen to a rock and roll concert and I can clap along. And I can leave, and nothing changes. I can come to church, I can clap along, I can worship, I can praise, and I can leave changed. Just worship. I spend a lot of time in the Word. I get this message together, and I'm trying to teach you. And, and part of what you should be doing is listening to the Word and allowing it to challenge you. But the other part should be, how do I study? How do I put together a message like this? Not to preach or to teach, maybe that's your calling, but, but so your study life at home, that you can be transformed. I can't put the Word together you, for you and your life be changed. You must learn how to put the Word together for yourself. You must. It's the only way you're truly going to see change. I want to demonstrate it for you. I can't do it for you. Nobody, your favorite YouTube preacher, cannot put the Word together for you. Only you can do that. When finally, on Monday, you get home and you open up the Bible, and you're like, right, where was he at? First Samuel, is that New Testament or Old Testament? I don't know, it's in the Old It's in the Old Let me go back over here. First Samuel 3, let me read this. Let me, oh, yeah, he said that. I remember him saying that. I said, ooh. He didn't say this, but it's right here. Oh, I, he missed it. Us in the biz, we call that nuggets. I don't mean biz, but we see stuff like that. We've never really heard it before. Like, oh, my God, because it's special. It's like the Lord just showed something to you that nobody else in the universe has ever seen in all of history. Obviously, that's not true, but it makes you feel that way. You, just, you feel like, oh, I, I got to tell somebody this. Just like when, when I read this, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. It just hit me like, I've never read that before. Are you kidding me? Well, no wonder Eli's boys was in such bad shape. If Samuel's living in the tent next door to Eli, and he don't know the Lord, obviously Eli's not teaching anybody how to know the Lord. Now it makes sense to me. How did I know that? Because I got in the Word. I didn't listen to a YouTube preacher and get me all worked up and hallelujah and shout. I actually, I mean, I do, but I got in the Word myself. That's how you change your life. Sick of how things are going? Or maybe you're just okay with how things are going, but kind of like them to get a little better? Boom, get in the Word. You can use your Bible and just, just let me just throw this out. I'm not trying to be a conspiracist. 
But I know we all have um, digital Bibles. I do. I don't hardly ever read out of my actual physical Bible anymore. I read, I study, I preach out of a digital Bible. Just in case, I want to encourage you all, make sure you have a hard physical Bible that you can put in, and you may even want to hide it in your house somewhere. Put it under the floorboard, put it in the wall somewhere, then only you know where it's at. I'm just saying, not trying to be a conspiracist, but I'm just saying that there's a day that could come. All somebody's got to do is click a button, and every digital Bible goes away. They're gone. That's it. You want to talk about a, a nation falling apart? Let me tell you something. When there's no access to the, to the Word, I don't care what our, our economic state is, our nation will fall apart. It is the Word that sustains the United States of America. It is the Word. I would encourage you to make sure you have a Bible. Knock a little bit of the dust off of it. It'll be all right. You can open it up every now and then. And I do every now and then open mine up. I've got so many writings. Don't treat it like it's some kind of just ancient artifact that, you know, you don't, don't touch my Bible. Open it up. Make marks in it. Oh, that's good. I'm going to underline that. I can open my Bible up right there and preach a message out of just anywhere in there that I preached 15 years ago because it's very special to me. That particular Bible is very dear to me. My life changed through that Bible right there. Woo! Oh, I just feel the Spirit of the Lord. I'm telling you, you've got to get in the Word. It is a Word that will change your life. I can, see, I can tell you nine ways to Sunday how to save your marriage, or you can just get in the Word. Well, yeah, but I, you know, there's nothing in there. I mean, she's treating me like garbage. I mean, she ignores me and all this. Quit worrying about she. Quit worrying about he. Worry about you. Because when you make you better, it's funny how everybody else around you wants to get just a little bit better. Make you better. The Word will wash you clean. I don't know, my God. The Word will strengthen you. It will change your life. It is the Word, and it makes no sense. It's just ink and paper or little X's and O's in the digital world. No, 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 no. It is power. It is power. All things may pass away, but the Bible says the Word of the Lord will never pass away. It is the only thing we can, we can trust. It's the only thing that we can depend on. It is the Word that changes. My God, are you not feeling what I'm feeling? God is good that he would give us something like this. I love to read, and I, I've got cases and cases and cases of books, and I can open up and start reading. I was reading yesterday a book, reading, 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 reading. Oh, that's pretty good. Didn't do anything for me. I walked away. It was pretty good, very interesting. Don't get me wrong. Captivated my attention. I can pick this thing up, and sometimes I can read three lines, and I, it, tears. My, my life, I got energy all of a sudden. I'm like, oh my, what, what's going on here, you know? That's what the Word of the Lord does for you. Man, we're running out of time, and I'm hung up here. God, help me move on. Thank you, Jesus. Woo! I don't know what I dropped. Something dropped? Hmm. Lord, I don't know. Maybe it's you, God. I'm excited. All right, let's move on. I got to move on. In verse 8, the Lord called Samuel again the third time. <clears throat> yeah. I, I'm gonna, we're going to go somewhere real quick. Get ready. 
I'm going to scare some of you. I don't want to scare you. I want to excite you. He arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Now, if you're Eli and you've got a legacy here and you've got boys that are supposed to take over the priesthood and now he's perceiving God's calling somebody else. Mm. He perceived, I can just, I feel Eli's demeanor changing when he perceives that it's, that it's the Lord calling him. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go lie down. And if he calls you, say this, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and he laid down his place. And I'm telling you right now, through everything in me, Eli knew. This is it. I've disobeyed the Lord. I didn't straighten my boys up. I have perverted the structure. I've perverted the methodology. I've perverted the, the sacrifice of the Lord in this, in this tabernacle. So Samuel, he went and he laid down. And sure enough, the Lord came and, and stood calling as at other times. So now we've, we've went from maybe a dream, maybe it's a vision, it's obviously an audible voice. Now he's standing there right in front of him. Samuel. Samuel says, speak for your servant hears. So, for the first time, Eli is teaching him how to hear from the Lord. First time. You know he's recognizing, I might as well teach him because my life here on planet Earth is about over. Because he's done been warned, if you, if you read the previous chapters, he's done been warned. <clears throat> See, it's... It's my job, it's Michael's job, it's Jason's job to teach you how to hear from the Lord. But make no mistake about it, it is your job and your responsibility to build a relationship with Jesus Christ. You must. To be a part of what God is doing in these end times, we all need to be going home and seeking the Lord and saying, God, I'm, I'm done with this mess. I want more of you. I don't, care what the, I don't care what the doctor says. I don't care what the employer says. I don't care what he or she says. Lord, just block it out. You got to fix it because I'm coming after you. That's what we need to be doing. And, and he goes on and he says in verse 11, he says, Behold, I'm about to do a new thing in Israel. And, and I won't read the rest. You can read there if you want to. But the main thing is he's telling him, I'm about to do something different. And he goes into telling him how he's going to have to punish Eli. But this, this life of Eli, this, the way he's been conducting himself, it, it's over. And Eli says, I want to know what the Lord said. And, and Samuel says, I, I, I don't know. Not really nothing. Just say, good to meet you. No, 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 no. I know he told you something. I know it in my spirit. Tell me what he said. He said, well, your boy's going to die, 
and you won't be long after. And sure enough, war comes along, the boys are killed, and the day that they are killed, they come back, they tell Eli he has a heart attack, falls over, and he's dead. Suddenly, suddenly, this abandoned boy is the leader of the most important nation on planet Earth. Can you imagine? How many of you have had a dad that left? Don't, don't raise your hand. How many of you have had a mom that just was crazy? How many of you, growing up, just had a good childhood, don't get me wrong, but how many of you have just been through it? In your early 20s and 30s, you keep wondering, why? Why has all this happened? And you look here, and you, you, you look at Samuel, and you think, this is an abandoned boy whose folks just live a, a, a few days away within walking distance, which is not a big deal during those times. And he's grown up like this. And he's just now finding out how to even talk, why he's even there, how to talk to I mean, he's serving God, don't know who he is. He's just now finding out truly how to have a relationship, the power of God. And now here he is. He is the leader. The one who was hurt by his family. Ever been hurt by your family? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to look around. Ever been hurt by your family? Have no idea why I had to go through this. Don't know why they talk to me this way. Don't know why they treat me this way. They don't treat my brother that way. Don't treat my sister that way. Why are they doing this to me? I raised them up. I provided for them. I loved them. I helped them get a home. And now they won't even talk to me. Ever feel that way? Well, that's the way Samuel felt. And yet here he is. God took all that he went through, that tested him, that strengthened him, and now the only true earthly relationship that he had was Eli, and Eli's dead. And he's now the leader. This abandoned boy is the leader. Proverbs 18.6 says, A man's gift makes room for him. Me and this thing have a love-hate relationship. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. Brings him into greatness. Every one of you in here, if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, you all have a gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. You can't deny it. You have a responsibility to seek it out, to understand it, to learn it, to pursue it, to shape it, to grow it, to mold it, because it is that gift that will bring you into your greatest calling that God has for your life. You may miss it the first few times. I did. But you just keep, you keep digging in and digging in and digging in. And God truly, he will show you little by little what it is that your ultimate thing is that you're supposed to be doing. And I don't care what age you are. Well, that's a little late for me. No, 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 it's not. No, it's not. It's never too late if you're still drawing breath on this earth. It's never too late. It is time for you to pursue what God has for you. Now, I'm going to get real practical because we're running out of time, so I don't have time really to preach this. Why the urgency? I mean, why is it important that you hear from God? You learn how to have a relationship. Why is it important that we do church 
well. Why is it important that you come this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, eat a piece of pizza, and learn where you can get involved in serving the church? I mean, really, why is it that important? Why? I know I said it before, but you have, I mean, you, you're, you never turn on the TV, you never turn on the internet, you never go around people if you don't hear that there is this resurgence of urgency in the church body right now, all over the globe. Not one person. It's most leaders are saying the same thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I heard that we're in the end days when I, I remembered as a kid. I remember probably 10 years old, we went to see this uh, speaker. He, he taught on revelations at the armory in Madisonville. I remember that. <clears throat> end times is on its way. Better get your life right. You're going to burn. You know, I mean, we, we've heard this our whole life, and now suddenly we're not only hearing it, but we're hearing it with this urgency. We better not burn, right? So are we really living in these last days? I mean, do you really believe it, or do you think it's just more jargon? I believe we are. You, Joyce, you? Yeah. I think that we are. So I taught a series on somewhat of end times that I, y'all might not have enjoyed it. I, I still get a kick out. I just love teaching that kind of stuff. But you know, sometimes when I get deep in stuff, y'all are like, <sighs> I see y'all. When I get into history, and y'all don't think I see it. I see it, you know. You, eyes are doing this number right here. So I try not to get too deep in it. But, you know, listen, y- y'all need to be like Judy and start red bulling it up before Sundays. Because I'm telling you right now, we need to pay attention to what the Lord is saying in these end times. See, when Aim got up here, I had no idea what she was saying. She's talking about this is a burden. So I don't look at it as like this is heavy. Because what some of you, I've been telling you, I feel like in my spirit in September, if we do what we're supposed to between now and September, oh, Katie, bar the door. Come on, September. We're going to reach our community in western Kentucky for Jesus Christ. We're going to see your family and your friends come to an altar that said they never stepped foot in the church. That's what we're going to see happen. So I don't look at that as a, it is a burden because it's a responsibility. But I I welcome it. If we're going to do what we're called to do here at Cross Point Church, let's welcome those prophetic messages and let's get into it. So, last fall I taught about now. If you want to study this, Luke 17, and actually it's part of a conversation from 16, and, and Matthew 24 talks a lot about this. I won't get deep into it right now. I don't have time. But Jesus tells us that we will recognize the signs of the end of days. And all of us know we've heard as in the days of Noah and as in the days of Lot. Well, what was going on during that time? Rampant sin. It was a perversion of the natural way of God, the way God established humanity, it was a complete perversion of that. And let's face it, we've seen that. I mean, you and I both know we heard a little bit of this even 10 years ago. But our 10-year-ago self, if, if we could glimpse into today, we would say that's a lie. That No way that could happen in such a short amount of time. There is a rampant perversion. This is not unique. It is not new. This is the same thing that was going on in Noah's time. It's the same thing that was going on in Lot's time. This this is the same stuff that was going on. And, And it may not be in the scriptures, but we can study history. 
The same thing that happened in Greece, same thing that was happening in Rome, the same thing that was happening. Every time, especially when you can study a major nation that was just dominated and suddenly they took a fall, study what was going on in culture. You'll find out. Same thing going on now. And so he's telling you this, but real quick, let's get into a, a couple of the really big signs here because if we don't know why there's an urgency, we may not get urgent. So it's important that we understand there's a reason we're in a hurry here. Okay, amen? So one of the biggest signs, Jesus talks about the fig tree. And in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's, the fig tree is referred to quite often. Matthew 24, 32 says, From the fig tree, learn its lesson. Listen to this. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, again, I'm not reading that whole chapter, but he's talking about seasons. You'll know by the seasons. You're never going to be able to pinpoint a year. You're not going to be able to pinpoint a day, but you will know the seasons. And he says, when you see these things, know that it's near. Know that it's at the very gate. So, Real quick, I want to I want to validate this by a few Old Testament scriptures. Hosea nine and ten says, "I found Israel like the first fruit on the fig tree in its first season." So Matthew twenty four is talking about when it's talking about the first fruit. It's talking about Israel when the branch becomes tender. That means that means it was going through a season. What happens in the winter? The leaves die. There are no leaves. When you see the branch begin to yield its fruit. Israel is the branch when it begins to be reborn, when it begins to be birthed. Are you hearing me? Song of Solomon says, The fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, and this is important, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For all of you post-tribbers, here's one more that, that I believe proves that, that Jesus will come back before the tribulation. Here's one more, because here's what he says. As the fig tree ripens, who's the fig tree? Israel. As it ripens, what's it doing? It's birthing anew. Just like every spring, the leaves come out. They're birthing anew. Israel has not been Israel for a long, 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 long time. It has been in winter. And suddenly spring came along in May of 1948. Somebody say amen. So when Israel blooms, now, Solomon says when Israel blooms, and this is really cool, arise, my love, because we think he's talking about a woman. You know, it's, it, you read Solomon here, you know, don't have your kids around. I mean, it's, it's a little rough. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. So who's the beautiful one? The bride of Christ. That's it. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus talks about the bride of Christ. Talks about the body. You and I, if you're a born again, a born, a born again, if you're a born again believer, you are part of the bride of Christ. He is the groom. He is We believe he is coming back to snatch away, to call away in the air his bride. What did Solomon say? When the fig tree ripens, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Solomon says. When everything's starting to look pretty, when it looks like it's all starting to happen, I'm going to take my beautiful one away. Oh, are you hearing it? All right, here we go. Somebody's hearing it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Patty. So he said, 
You'll know when summer's near. You're not going to know the date again. You're going to know when it's near. You're going to know the, the seasons. Now, <clears throat> let's get in real quick. If y'all got a few minutes, I'll go through this quickly. <clears throat> All right, if you got a pill, I got some water up here. If anybody's got to take a pill at 12, if you're five minutes late. Deuteronomy 29:22 says, The foreigner who comes from a far land will say, When they see the afflictions of that land <clears throat> and the sicknesses with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown, very important, and nothing growing where no plant can sprout. Now, this is Deuteronomy. Okay, this is before David, the kingdom, before David became a king, before Solomon, before Israel became uh, split in two nations, and then once they had multiple kings in both the two split nations, and then they went into captivity. You know, somewhere around 500 B.C., there was no Israel. There was no nation of Israel. They were just a lost people outside their land. All right, so this says there's coming a time when a foreigner will come from a far land, and he'll see the afflictions, and that foreigner will say, nothing will grow here. In 1867, Mark Twain traveled the world. How many's heard this? <clears throat> Mark Twain traveled the world to report to a newspaper <clears throat> and write his book. He arrived in Jerusalem and Palestine, and he said, Israel was a land of plagues, diseases, unproductive, and without grass. Now, that's important because that helps us with Deuteronomy 29. We attach Zechariah chapter 2 with this, and it becomes incredible. Zechariah says, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And then I said, where are you going? And he said, to measure Jerusalem to see what it's width and what it's length. And behold, the angel who walked came forward. Another angel came forward to meet him and said, run, say to that young man, listen to this, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. Now, during this particular time, Jerusalem was just coming out of captivity. Okay, remember Cyrus believed that the God of Israel had mandated for him to, to build the second temple to pay for it. And so he let them go back to their homeland. They'd been in there for 70 years. They'd been in captivity from Babylon and Persia, and he let them go back. There still wasn't a nation. They were still under the thumb of another nation. So, but, so they go back and said, it'll be habit as villages without walls. What Nehemiah do? Nehemiah went to build the walls, right? So we're not talking about then. We're talking about sometime in the future. But Israel never became a nation again because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. We're talking about something written hundreds of years before Jesus, and it never became a nation until 1948. Listen to this. Charles Warren was sent to Jerusalem to survey and measure the boundaries of the ancient city of Jerusalem. This is in 1867, same time Mark Twain was. He was sent to measure... The purpose was to establish that Jerusalem and Israel was the ancestral possession of the Jewish people. Warren was in Jerusalem the same day as Mark Twain. They stayed at the same hotel. <clears throat> so now we've got a stranger that's coming to the land, and the stranger has said no grass can be grown here. And if you, if you study this, it's awful. I mean, it wasn't until they became a nation that they, I mean, the Jews are just smart people. They know how to, they know how to make money. They know how to make stuff grow. 
And, and that's what they did. And if you want to study how they, how they truly became one of the wealthiest nations on the planet, I mean, in their region, they're number two in their region. And per capita, they are truly one of the most secure, wealthiest, richest nations on the planet now. But this is back in 1867. So, Zechariah, let's go back to 117. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. This is back when they're just coming out of captivity. It could not have happened at any time in history until they became a nation. And so it's important that when we read these things that we take the context of it into account. Because if we're not careful, we'll read some of our commentators and our theologians and they'll say, well, this happened back, you know, when Jesus did this or this happened before Jesus was born. It couldn't have happened. They wasn't a nation. So in May of 1948, Israel becomes a nation. And I believe probably one of the most important uh, gongs or bells or dings on the prophetic clock rang at that moment. Now... So let's go back. Matthew 24, 34 says, Truly I say to you, this generation shall not pass away until all these things take place. Now there's controversy on this generation. Always has been and always will be. But if we go to Psalms 90, the Bible tells us in, in verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. So the psalmist is saying 70 or 80 years. Now, there's been uh, taught before and teaching before, and I, and I was along this, this train of thought and belief at one time that a generation was 40 years. We see how long Israel was in the desert. But it says in Psalms, the years of our life are 70, maybe 80. 70 or 80. So if we look at the ripening of the olive tree, when the leaf became ripe, when did it become ripe? When did Israel birth again? 1948. How much time has passed since 1948? Well, as of this month, 75 years and two months. Now, Psalmist says that a generation is 70 years or maybe by strength, 80 years. If they're strong enough, they're healthy enough, 80 years. It's been 75 years since the birth of Israel. Now, that means if we just want to be dogmatic, if we want to drink the Kool-Aid, if, you know, if we all want to just be specific and, and be embarrassed, we could say that Jesus is coming back in four years and ten months. I would not dare say that. I say that in jest, obviously, because we are told we will not know the time, but we will know the seasons. So... If we study this, a prophecy, we study what's came to pass, we study early history, not just ancient history, but recent history, we've got to conclude that what we're hearing in these last couple of years, that we're in the end of the end times, we have to conclude that. Or we're just all dumb, and we don't know how to read the Bible. We have to conclude that we are in the end of the end times. Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back. He's coming for his bride. I believe he'll come before the tribulation. It don't matter what I believe. We'll, he'll come before it, 
We'll miss the tribulation. He'll come after it. We'll go through the tribulation. I'm going to heaven one way or the other. Amen? Yeah. Thank you. I, I applaud. Thank you, Lord. But with that said, some people are not. Brent, some people are on their way to hell. I just don't believe God will send anybody to hell. Well, I don't believe he would either. I believe that God created these angels, and I think these angels turned against God, and God created a pit with an everlasting burning flame, and that when the time of judgment comes, those angels would go in there, and unrighteousness would, would go in that pit. Man was born. Humanity was born. We were born in sin. We were born on our way to hell. And God said, I really don't want them to go to hell. Even though I've created it, even though I've commanded unrighteousness to go there, I don't want them to go to hell. So I provide a temporary sacrifice until I send my son. His son came. He gave his life so we would not have to go to hell. We do not get sent to hell. We choose to go there. But God provided a sacrifice, his only son, so that your next-door neighbor, so that your old hateful uncle, so that your kid who's far from God, would have hope. So, Jesus' teaching is very simple. Got to be born again. Got to be discipled. Then he says, go and make disciples. And finally, he says, I'm building a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. He says, you get born again, I'm going to build a church. You get discipled in the church. We are the church. You get discipled in the church, I'm sending you to go. We won't get into that, all the places he sent us to go. But just to say this, he sent us to go to our family next door, our, our community across the world. He sent us to go. Some of you are called right now to start a church. Maybe in Owensboro, Hopkinsville. Maybe in Ohio. God forbid some of you is called to, maybe to plant a church in California. Indonesia. I don't know where he's called you to. Some of you is called to teach a class, to disciple and equip the saints. Some of you is called to, to, to teach how to save marriages. Some of you is called to teach how to raise godly men and women. Some of you teach, he's teaching you, or he, he wants you to teach. He's calling you to be a part of this body of Christ, to use your passion, your gift, your skill set, the, the powered Holy Spirit gift that He's put inside of you within this church so that when, when, when one of us goes out and invites our lost loved one, our lost friend, and they come in here and they hear this message, they have something to do besides say, yes, Lord. They have a class to go to to be taught. They have coffee to kind of, you know, everybody knows when you drink a little coffee, you got something to eat, and you're out there, it kind of lowers your tension a little bit. You don't feel so nervous, and that's an old car business uh, tactic. When somebody come in, we always try. You ever buy, go buy a car, and they give you a Snickers bar, there's a reason. It's not because they're just being nice, because it's hard to yell at somebody eating a Snickers bar. It's a tactic. So we want people to feel comfortable when they come in. We want people to... to be greeted at the door and know that we're glad they're here. 
We want them to know that there's a children's church right over there that somebody loves their kids, and they're teaching them the great heroes of the Bible, how to apply their faith. There's other people in there that's making sure they're safe and making sure they're behaving and, and helping them with a craft. And we've got people coming out of here that's praying for every single one of you. We all have a gift. We're all part of this church. God's called you, every one of you. Some of you called to multiple things. This is not the only thing I do. This is what my passion is. This is what God, this is my main thing at this point in history. I don't see God changing anytime soon, but if he does, I don't care. I just want to be in the will of God. But there's other things that I do that I love to do that I'm excited about doing. And so I want you to be encouraged. Please, if you can get out here Wednesday, try to get here. I won't be up here. I won't be doing none of this. We're going to talk about our teams where you can get involved, and you will never have to make an eternal commitment here. Whitney, that's my promise. I may not have told you that. But you never have to say yes to something and go, well, I guess that's who I am for the rest of my life. We would encourage you to try something for three or four months, and then let's go back and revisit it. And if you're loving it, that's where you need to be. If you're saying, I just discovered something, I don't like kids then we need to move you somewhere else away from the kids. And that's okay, right? We want to do what you're called to do because then you can truly impact somebody else's life. And that's what I want to do. Listen, there's a greater cause. I wake up every day, I think about the greater cause. Every day, I think about it. Every day, I think about you and how you can get involved and what you can do. And, and I see some of you in my mind, and, and it's just incredible to see how God can use you. Can you imagine? The day will come when God will show us how he used us to impact somebody in some way. And maybe it took 50 of us to impact that one hard-headed somebody. But they're in heaven because we did our part. Isn't that incredible? I just think it's remarkable to think we can have that kind of impact on somebody's life. I, mean, I can talk somebody into going to college, big whoop. Talk somebody and going to heaven. Woohoo! That's eternal. Amen. Isn't that cool? All right. I'm gonna close right there. Um, thank you guys. I know we're wow, we're running really late. Most of you kept your eyes open. That's incredible. I was about to take a nap myself because it's hot in here. Y'all hot? Well, you know, our air likes to run about once a month over here, and, and we missed it. We missed it this time. It worked last time. I hope you enjoyed it. But it didn't this time, so y'all pray about our air conditioning. It does not like us. Stand to your feet. Let's close. Um, I know some of you have already reached out to some of our leaders wanting to get involved. Thank you. I think that's remarkable. Um, uh, but again, Wednesday will be a great opportunity for you to learn about some of the teams. And listen, I know how I was when I just got back into church. And physically, I didn't have the capacity to volunteer all the time. I couldn't do it. So I started small. So please understand, you may be the person that, or maybe your work schedule, you may be the person that can only do something once a month. Okay. Watch God use you once a month. Watch God use you 30 minutes a month. And next thing you know, next month, God will use you an hour. And before you know it, you're running a mission trip to Honduras. Woo, amen. Wouldn't that be awesome? Amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for purpose. Thank you for calling. God, fix our air in here. We're hot. God, bless these that are in here. 
I, I come against any demonic attack against anybody in this room in the name of Jesus. I just say, Satan, you have to flee. You have no authority or right on the saints of God in here. God, strengthen us. Give us vision. And God, I just pray that everybody in here has a relationship like Samuel finally did when he truly heard your voice and he became a great leader. Thank you, God, for that. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for watching today's broadcast. If you were encouraged today or made a decision for Christ, let us know by visiting our website. Unfortunately, church has kind of become a third place. But in our culture, we have tended to make church a third place. And you may be thinking, well, you know, shouldn't it be? Shouldn't our home and, and, and then our work and then church, right? Shouldn't it be that? No, church should not be a third place. Church is not a place that we're supposed to go. Church is a place that we're supposed to be. Somebody say amen.